Good morning. Welcome to week two of Advent. Welcome to this time of celebrating Christmas. Uh, hot coffee is in hand. I'm with you guys. This is going to be a great morning. We're grateful for the time of worship we've already had around our Lord's table and listening to great music that gives God praise and honor. And and then we come to this time of hearing from him in his word. And I'm so glad that you can be a part of this. I, I'm thinking back to all of these months that we have been in this setting. And to say that there have been distractions this year is quite the understatement. And I know that you and your family have faced all types of challenges that you would have never expected during uncertain times like these. And I just want to give you a word that Jesus gave to his followers. We all need to hear this from our Lord. And Jesus said, I've taught you these things so that you may have peace. John's gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, records this. Jesus said, I've poured into your life these truths so that you can have peace. And then Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. And then he's reminded us that he has overcome the world. This morning, my prayer for you is is a prayer that I can imagine being probably one of the most profound requests I can make on your behalf. And my prayer for you, amid all the uncertainties and tribulations, to use Jesus' words, and my prayer is that you will have peace. We, we so desperately need the peace of God. And this morning, I, I ask you to lean in to to the teachings of Scripture so that you can have God's peace. Oh, I will tell you, there is no greater experience in your faith, especially when you're, when you're undergoing a lot of trials. There's no greater experience than to know the peace of God. There have been so many obstacles I've had to journey through in my life. Maybe they... Maybe they seem smaller uh, than what you've experienced. If you knew what they were, maybe they would seem larger. But in any regard, through all the obstacles I personally have had to face in life, those times where God's peace has been so real has been some of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my faith, regardless of the of the difficulties that surrounded me at the time. So, oh, I, I pray his peace for you. When Jesus said, I've taught you this so that you could have peace, we come to one simple conclusion. There's no way to have peace unless our faith is in Jesus Christ. I know in times past, I've waited to the very end of our teaching to offer this invitation, but I offer this invitation to you right now. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that your heart is open to do that right now. You know, Scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth, He is Lord and believe in our heart that God's raised Him from the dead, we will be saved from our sin. You know, you can pray right now. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I, I repent of my sin and I turn to you. You know, and if you pray a prayer like that right now or any time during our, our study together, I know God will hear your prayer and, and he will answer. He'll, he'll save you. He will change your life. He'll bring you peace. I believe one of the greatest uh, 
announcements from the scripture that we can cling to at this moment is, is the peace of God. So join me, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, as we experience fresh and anew this peace of God. Welcome to the second week of Advent. The candle of peace has been lighted, and now we, we look into the scriptures to understand more of how the the announcement of the birth of Christ is an announcement of peace and the fact that Christ has come and he lived and died and rose again and is at the right hand of the Father also assures us that we can have real peace in our life. There's no other way. For years, man has attempted to, to manufacture peace. But all we can come up with would be situations that seem peaceful. And whatever you would have to do to make a situation peaceful, you're going to have to continue in order to continue to have a peaceful situation. So if someone tries to make peace through military force, then they have got to use military force to find a peaceful solution. If if someone desires to, to use political strategy to somehow come up with peace, then they're going to have to use political strategy to keep that peaceful experience. But we do not need another attempt at a peaceful experience. We need real peace. And, and that can only come through knowing Jesus Christ. And that's what all of this represents, not only during Advent season, but but, but in all walks of life, every expression of faith in Christ represents our deep need to, to have his peace. So, so I invite you to uh, join me in a very familiar verse of scripture as we um, understand a bit more of, of what this peace of Christ is all about. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read, for a child will be born for us, and a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, let me pray with you as we dive into God's Word. Father, um, thank you for this time of worship. And now as your uh, Holy Scripture is unfolded before us, may may we hear from you. May you teach us about the peace you've given us through Jesus Christ. We ask you to guide us in his name. And together we said, amen. So notice with me the significance of this verse. Oh, it's so incredibly powerful. A child will be born, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders Consider this story that I thought was really encouraging for you and for me today. A man by the name of George McCaslin was the director of a YMCA in western Pennsylvania. His particular organization and, and his particular location uh, went through some severe trials. He began to lose funding. He began to lose financial support. He began to lose membership and he began to lose staff. McCoslin writes that he was so incredibly distraught that he began to try to manage all of these problems and to come up with solutions himself, even to the point that he was working almost 85 hours a week just to attempt a solution for all of these problems. In fact, he commented that, that his life became so desperate that, that the effects on him emotionally and physically were devastating. In fact, in one occasion, a therapist said to him, 
uh, George McCausland, you are about to be at the brink of, of a nervous breakdown. And so McCausland began to think, how can I turn all of this over to God? Now, he was certainly a man of faith. But he struggled with what it looked like to truly take all of the anxieties and all of the problems he was attempting to solve and to turn them over to God. And so he writes that he walked out into the woods one day to have some quiet moment. And he had a notebook and a pen with him. And he decided to sit down by a tree and to write God a letter. And I'd like to read to you the letter he wrote to God. This is a pretty short letter. Here's what he wrote to God. I imagine you'll identify He wrote, Dear God, today I resign as manager of the universe. I love that simplicity and that resolve. Later, reflecting on this circumstance, McCausland commented, Wonders of wonders, God actually accepted my resignation. And and you know, that's not a bad letter for many of us to write to God. God, I resign from attempting to be the general manager of my world, of my life. Perhaps that's a resolve many of us need to make because you've, you've been asked to help your children, to care for your parents, to, to, to get a coworker in shape. You've, you've, you've been asked, at least in your mind, to, to come to the aid of your siblings and your, and your parents and your, your neighbors and your roommates and your friends. And perhaps you begin to feel as if, You need to be helping others with all of their problems. No wonder you're fatigued. No wonder you likely feel distress. You know, it was that beloved Christmas carol that reminded us that we should let the weary world rejoice. And so maybe it's not a bad idea that we resign from attempting to be the general manager of our life. Perhaps we should resolve that we need to hand that over to God. Because I tell you, Jesus came to set us free from the terrible burden and the inevitable failure of attempting to manage our own world. This is where the message of Christmas steps in. Would you look at the babe in the manger? Would you ponder why Christ came? He came, according to this verse we just read, to shoulder our world for us. Many of us find ourselves busy trying to manage the entire universe. And yet we read here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that he came, Jesus came, and the government will be on his shoulder. Oh, this is a message of peace. Because you see, we're told that a child will be born. Uh, May I offer you this observation? Uh, In the Hebrew language, the phrase will be born is actually perfect tense, which should be translated has been born. You see, the prophet Isaiah rhetorically stepped into the future and announced that the Messiah has been born. And the governments will rest on his shoulder. The Messiah has come. And so now we no longer need to rhetorically step into the future along with Isaiah because we are in the blessing of the fact that Christ has come and and the governments rest on his shoulder. Now, there are those that would say this this phrase 
on his shoulders actually indicates that because of the sovereignty of Christ, all the governments in the world uh, are, are, are dependent upon him. Others would say that the scholarship actually indicates that the governments on his shoulder uh, indicates that, that Christ will come and o- overcome all the governments. Will. I believe the actual translation of this passage and this phrase, the governments will rest on his shoulder, indicates that Jesus has come to bring in his kingdom. And Jesus has come to manage the entire universe his way and not ours. And so the government will rest on his shoulder. He will take upon himself all that mankind has tried to accomplish. So this is certainly a foreshadowing when when Christ returns in his second advent. But for this moment, the fact that the government's rest on his shoulder is a representation of peace that Christ has come to rule and to establish his kingdom in our hearts and to do so to give us peace. Later in this verse, the statement concludes with Jesus being the Prince of Peace. And so this entire message of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 demonstrates peace. And we're not called to manage our lives. All of that rests on his shoulders because he has come to show us how he governs and how he leads. And we can trust him. And so with all of this that references the peace of Christ at at this time of year, I'd like to ask you to join me in two simple experiences with this verse. The first experience is to to witness that peace has entered. I know this sounds simple, but I'd like to show you from the scriptures, from Isaiah, how it is confirmed peace has entered. And then the second experience will be to, to see that peace has a name. Peace has entered, and peace has a name. So let's look at that first experience for for just a moment. Peace has entered. Uh, uh, May I share with you uh, four examples of how Isaiah and his prophecies demonstrate that peace has entered. Uh, The first example comes from Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, where we read that in the midst of difficulty concerning the nation of Israel, and more particularly the, the, the land of Judah, there was significant devastation. In fact, chapter 3 records that God has allowed a stripping of the land where so much has been lost. But in chapter 4, verse 2, God then announces that on the day of his restoration, the branch of the Lord will come, and, and the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and the glory of Israel's survivors. And so the the first expression of the entrance of peace is God's promise of restoration that we find in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, where the branch of the Lord is referenced. The branch of the Lord represents new life, fertility. And so when, when we read about peace coming, we read that that peace is present because God restores. And the branch of the Lord is a foreshadowing of the Messiah, of Christ. And so now that Christ is here, we know that God has come to restore all things. And from that, we have peace. So peace has entered through God's promise of restoration, the the branch of the Lord. A second expression that that reveals the entrance of peace comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, what we're 
looking at is the larger context of Isaiah's prophecies to prove and to have proven to us that that peace has entered in in significant ways. And so a a second evidence, a second expression of peace having entered uh, comes from Isaiah 7 verse 14. Uh, We've heard this verse so many times. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign and and the virgin will conceive and she'll have a son and, and will name him Emmanuel. God's intervention himself announces that peace. Well, God's promised restoration first announced peace, but secondly, God's intervention himself announces peace. Isaiah 7, 14 stated that God himself will give you a sign. This came during a devastating time of King Ahaz, king of Judah. There was a a, a, a Syro-Ephraimite alliance. I know that sounds like a lot of history, but it's very significant. This alliance of of regions in Damascus, Syria, and, and Ephraim of Israel, that alliance came together to remove Ahaz from his from his position as king, hoping that Judah would join them in a in a uh, alliance uh, against another king of Assyria who was who was on the scene and, and trying to to become a world power. In this struggle, Ahaz is desperate, and God raised up Isaiah to say to Ahaz, "Hey, there is there is a hope coming. God Himself will intervene." Well, Ahaz chose not to trust God, and the results were devastating. But in this message to a king for his contemporary crisis came an announcement for a prophecy that was for all time. God himself, I can't get over this opening phrase of Isaiah seven fourteen. God himself will give you a sign, and a virgin will be with child. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. So how do we know peace has in it? Well, first, God promised restoration, the branch of the Lord. Second, God intervened himself. The Lord will give you a sign. Well, there's a third expression of how peace has entered. Now we move to chapter 9, where we're narrowing the context. And third, God has sent the light, his restoration. He intervenes himself. And then God has sent the light, not a light, not a a segment of truth. God has sent the light in the scriptures, light represents the the revelation of God's truth. We we light the Advent candle as a representation of the truth of this time of year as we celebrate that Christ has come. And and celebrating the truth of peace is is our focus as we read in chapter 9, verse 2 of Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of darkness have seen that a light has dawned. This is a foreshadowing of the earthly ministry of Jesus. This is amazing. Back in verse 1 of chapter 9, there is actually geographical boundaries described. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali actually marked that northern kingdom, which would which would be known as the area of Galilee, wherein Jesus ministered Israel was noted historically as as their northern region being the most vulnerable place of attack when a foreign oppression would come against them. This land was devastated. This land knew slavery. This this northern land, the land of, of Zebulun and Naphtali, knew devastation probably more than any other part of, of this region. And yet that became the land whereupon Jesus many years later, would walk and demonstrate the true light and truth of God embodied in his life. And so God has sent 
the light. That is why John chapter 1 says, a man by the name of John the Baptist came to announce the light. He was not the light, but he came to point people to the true light of God, which is Jesus. That is the light. God's light is a, a who, not a what. The light of God is Christ himself. And so peace has entered, not only because God's promised restoration has come, and not only because God has intervened himself, but God has sent the light into a land that was dark. The darkness here is a metaphor for oppression. Light is a metaphor for deliverance with the truth of God in Christ. And so Jesus, the light of God, has come to deliver those that have been oppressed by darkness. God has sent a light. Uh, a fourth proof that, that peace has entered is how God's grace has been made available. Oh, this is so powerful. From chapter 9, verse 2 to chapter 9, verse 3, the prophet Isaiah now turns and begins to speak of, of God. God, you have enlarged the nation and you have increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest times, as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. This, this rejoicing represents the foreshadowing of how the Messiah has come and lives have been changed because God's grace has been manifested to many people. And so this is a beautiful expression of how God has enlarged his chosen from the boundaries of Israel to include all who will place their faith in the Son, in Jesus Christ. Uh, my mind goes to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where we are told there that every tribe and language and nation and tongue stood before the Lamb of God and, and sang praises. That representation mirrors that which Isaiah prophesied here, that God has enlarged his people because his grace has begun to move and to change lives. And so peace has come because God's grace has been made available. And then finally, God's peace has come significantly through the Redeemer. And now I want to show you this through looking at verses 4 through 6. God's peace has come because of his restoration, the branch of the Lord. God's peace has come because he has intervened himself. The Lord himself will give you a sign. God's peace has come because he has sent the light. God's peace has come because his grace has, has changed many lives and a conclusion of this is God's peace has come because of the, the Redeemer and what Christ has done. Now notice this in verses 4 through 7. There are uh, three verses that begin with the, uh, with the preposition for. And they make significant the summary of how peace has entered. Verse 4. For, meaning God in Christ, for you have shattered the yoke. So God's peace has come through the Redeemer. How? The first four. For the yoke of the oppressor has been shattered by the coming of Christ. All that would oppress man has been broken and shattered. Uh, look at the next verse, verse 5. For the trampling of the boot in battle, the, the bloody garments that have been burned. This second four represents that the oppressor is defeated has been defeated forever. When when garments are are burned uh, in battle, that represents that the battle's over. The, those that were oppressing the enemy has been completely defeated. So first, for the yoke of slavery has been oppressed. 
The yoke of slavery, the oppressor is gone. Uh, second, the oppressor is defeated forever. For he has defeated the oppressor, the oppressor. And then third, for a child has come, verse six. So verse three, for the yoke of the oppressor is broken. Uh, verse four, for, for the oppressor is defeated forever. Uh, and oh, and then look, look at, at, at verse five and six, for, for because of that defeat, a child has has been born. This all represents that Christ indeed has come and he has brought peace and he's destroyed the oppressor and he has allowed us to know and to understand his role of redemption and that we now have have peace. So the entrance of peace is validated again and again. Peace is here. We do not have to manufacture an experience of peace. God's peace supernaturally has come. We, we could never manufacture any semblance of peace. We may try to find peaceful experiences, but there's only one true peace, the peace that has entered through God's activity in bringing Jesus Christ to our lives. This is why the prophet said of the birth of Christ in Isaiah 9, 6, for a child has been born, a son has been given, and the government have been put on his shoulder. He has come so that all that is in life is resting on his shoulder. He has come to redeem and to restore. Now, the second experience, and we will close with this. The first experience, peace has entered. The second experience is this. Peace has a name. The great writer Oswald Chambers said this. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. So let's look at the presence of God and how Peace has a name. Peace has entered. And secondly, peace has a name. I'd like to give you the, the five names of peace if I can. First, wonderful. Do you see this in verse six? His name will be called wonderful. Now, I know many will, will partner wonderful with counselor and will read his name will be called wonderful counselor. But I'll tell you, I have to stop for just a moment at wonderful. In the Hebrew, this is a noun representing that the wonder is of God's supernatural expression through Christ to give us peace. So God's peace is indeed a supernatural peace, a an experience of peace that can only come from God. So the first name of peace is wonderful, meaning supernatural. In fact, this term wonderful as a noun in the Hebrew language represents God's marvelous and miraculous manifestation in his people. And so peace has a name and, and peace is named wonderful. The peace comes from the fact that, that the governments rest on the shoulders of Christ. Christ has come to usher in peace and to do that through his kingdom and his rule and reign. And, and this is seen as wonderful. The peace of God is wonderful in Christ. So that's the first name of peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, uh, the peace I give you is, is not the peace the world gives you because the world will manufacture, again, experiences of peace. Uh, the peace that Christ brings is supernatural. It's of God. It's, it's not of man. So, yes, the name of peace, wonderful. Second name of peace, not only wonderful, but, of course, counselor. We read this here in verse 6. He will be called wonderful. He'll be called wonderful counselor. So, so peace is named counselor for counselor references the wisdom and and the insight and the guidance that God has manifested through Christ. Do, do you not understand that 
much of our peace as individuals comes when we know that the direction in our life is cared for. And Jesus came as counselor, meaning one who guides and directs and, and leads. He as counselor will, will give us knowledge of him and will give us understanding. Knowledge represents knowing Christ in our spirit where we've been reborn. And the knowledge represents our, our, our experience, but the understanding represents how we grow to know more of the Christ we serve. So indeed, he is counselor in that he, he brings knowledge and understanding to our lives. So peace has a name, yes, and it's counselor for Christ has brought peace by guiding and, and directing our lives as the, the wonderful counselor. A third peace has a name, and the name is Mighty God. Do you see this in verse 6? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God. Uh, the term mighty is a military term, obviously, meaning one who has become victorious in battle. God is our mighty God. We, we hide behind him. He, he battles for us. In fact, in, uh, in Psalm 44, verse 5, the psalmist wrote, God, uh, through you, we push back our adversaries. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4, uh, the, the word states, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. He is our mighty God. He battles for us. Peace comes knowing that we do not do the battle. God battles on our behalf. We trust him. We're at peace. I, I've met so many individuals who, who go through so many tumultuous times where circumstances and even other people come against them in very harsh ways, but, but they're at peace. And the reason they're at peace, if you ask them, is they know God has the battle. God has the struggle. And therefore, peace is theirs. Peace has a name. He's Mighty God, Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have a mighty God. This brings peace. And there's a, a fourth name for peace as we see Christ as our peace. And verse six, again, reminds us of another name, everlasting father. Yes, he's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. Uh, the, the literal translation would, would actually read, he's, he's eternal father. He he fathers forever. Now, please don't think that Isaiah had his theology wrong as he uh, confused God the Father with God the Son, Jesus. For here, the Messiah is seen as eternal Father, but not in confusion of the triuneness of God, but rather in the manifestation of how Christ Jesus makes a way for all to come to God eternally. And so Jesus mirrors the eternalness of the Father through that bringing us together with him and through that eternal care and, and security in the Father. And so peace comes knowing that we are secure in Christ and by that secure in the Father. Oh, peace comes when we know that Christ has us. We are in Christ. Christ is in God. What a beautiful picture of our security and our peace. The final name of peace, and it's the most obvious. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father. He is Prince of Peace. I love this title, Prince of Peace. Many have, I believe, confused why Jesus would call what's called Prince of Peace here. The, the very title Prince was used predominantly to reference human leaders. Here, I believe it's used very intentionally by God's Spirit in the voice of Isaiah and in the pen of Isaiah 
to demonstrate that Christ, fully God, as wonderful and counselor and mighty God and eternal father, was also fully the son as he came to earth as the prince, as the ruler of peace, to bring peace and to and to secure peace for our lives. He's, he's the prince of peace. He rules with peace. He, he manifests himself in our lives in peace. And so I would say at this point, there's, there's no way that I cannot be in peace if my heart is truly surrendered to the Prince of Peace. And so do you see what we have here? We have the entrance of peace. Oh, peace has come. So demonstratively throughout history, the peace of Christ has been announced and peace has come. And peace has a name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, Prince of Peace. I pray that these words have encouraged your heart today to realize these two experiences, peace is here, God's peace. It is supernaturally with you if your faith is in Christ because peace has not only entered, peace has a name. It's impossible to know peace without knowing Jesus. And if there is no Jesus, there is no peace. I pray that, that your heart is really surrendered to the Lord right now. This is not just church language. This is just not what the pastor says when it's time to conclude the study. I pray that your heart is truly surrendered to the Lord. The prayer that I prayed with you earlier is, is, is a prayer that has significance. It's the most important expression of our heart to the Father, to trust Him as our Lord and to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Well, if you've never made that decision, I pray you make that decision today and, and receive by faith Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if you know Jesus, I pray that you're walking in peace. Don't allow the world to press in and take your peace. For many of you, uh, you've, you've witnessed the peace robber coming in and taking peace and bringing chaos and disorder and fear. And this morning, your, your pastor, your co-laborer is sitting with you just to remind you that peace has come and peace has a name. His name is Jesus. I pray that you'll know Christ. And I pray that you'll, you'll know peace. The old writer from many, many years ago, Thomas Akempis said this, to be at peace yourself is how you will make better the peace of others. A peaceful and patient man is more profitable than anyone who has any level of learning. And, and I agree with this. Oh, to, to have peace ourselves is the greatest profit to encourage others to have peace. So right there in your home, are you, a, uh, are you a peacemaker? Are you a promoter of the peace of Christ? Can others look at you and see that you're at peace and understand that Christ truly is in control? Well, I pray so. And as we close in prayer, I want to ask God just to give you his real presence through Christ today so that you can know his peace in a very real way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us through your word this important, vital message on peace. And Lord, there's a lot we looked at, but Lord, your word announces aloud and clear that your peace has come. And may we be uh, extenders of your peace. May your peace be alive in us so that we can encourage others. And Lord, I pray that everyone listening to this message, as they depart from the, the teaching, Lord, that they'll be able to, to live before others and to communicate before others in a way where others see the peace of Christ. 
in us. Oh, so Father, may this be a reality. Thank you so much for bringing us into this time of worship. Lead us from this point on for your glory. Thank you for this Advent season and for the candle lighted that announces peace. We thank you for your peace through Jesus. And we pray this in his name. And together we said, amen. Thanks for being a part of this time of teaching and this time of worship. Go in peace. And I look forward to seeing you for week three of Advent. God bless. Love you a lot.